Alistair. Hello, dear. I'm very well, thanks. How are you? I'm good. You always slip into a Bristolian accent, I feel, when you're saying hello at the beginning of an episode. I don't know what that is. Hello, my darling. Hello. Well, I, <laughs> do you know what? This week, I think it might be, we've just been watching a lot of West Country of Doctor Who lately. That's a lot of people true. talking like this. They did talk a lot like that, didn't they? They really did. I didn't did. actually even think about where this episode is set. I guess there was a lot of West Country accents, now I think about it. Yeah. I mm. mean, I feel like, I mean, you know, it's obviously filmed in Wales, but I feel like it's kind of like Bristol adjacent. That's kind of maybe, maybe like yes. Gloucester. <laughs> that kind of place. Yes. Yeah. That makes sense. The little teaser, if you've guessed what this week's episode is from that, uh, <laughs> give you a little food for thought. Exactly. Oh, how are you, Alistair? I'm very well, thanks. I'm a little bit sleepy. We had my uh, birthday party yesterday. We did. It was so much fun. You sang a few really nice numbers for us. Um, <laughs> Sam is really, really good at karaoke. And my favourite songs that you do are um, Be Our Guest. <laughs> and what was the other one you did last night? That's like one of your staples. I did Part of Your World uh, from The Little Mermaid. Part of Your World. You do so well. That was fun. There's a video of you singing and it kind of pans around to me on the sofa and I'm like, dead. Like, you have my full attention. <laughs> my boyfriend was like, it, he like clearly captivates you. He's like, you look so happy when Sam sings. And I was like, I am. Like, I love it. I'm not kidding. I literally, because like we were going to go to this karaoke bar and it, it was fully booked. So we were just doing some songs in like Alice's flat. And I was like, yeah. the only reason I can do this is because I can look at Alistair and he's really taking it seriously. So I'm there singing and you're like, looking. yeah, I, I was like really egging you on, but you going for it properly really inspired other people to take it up. And by the end of the night, it was, it became this, it's funny, because any clip of it it's not really like a rowdy like it's not really like a laugh by the end there's a lot of like very sincere performances with people like encouraging like gently swaying to the songs that are on it's which is quite so funny. cute and at the end like someone would put on like taylor swift or high school musical or something and like everyone was just stood up like, everyone's in a joined in but everyone's actually like trying to sing well it became like a choir it's yeah. quite um honestly it was no, a lovely night it was, it was so a lovely, lovely night i was so lovely and also this morning i woke up and i was very very happy because uh as with all house parties my wallet <laughs> it didn't take a dive it's which still like that's exactly what i'm thinking because he lives keep it indoors honestly. not one cue we control the music he yeah, unlimited goes on the karaoke it was amazing um, massively underrated <laughs> staying to be honest oh. um but it was a great night and it's funny as well because then um, like, there's a point in the night where everyone's like okay maybe time to uh maybe time to wrap up now and you're like what do you say we keep these good vibes going and you're like <laughs> <laughs> drinking game and it gets to the point that everyone's like i'm drinking water now sam and you're like that's fine that's fine like everyone else and it's like empty bottles this is my thing i'm not gonna like pressure anyone who doesn't want to drink into drink like like there were people who like because this was very much like at the end of the night and i was like well, why don't we play a drinking game and if people say no i'm drinking water i'm like that's fine you do you but you still have to play you still have to play you, you can just it. drink your water and it definitely was the point where i think three people were like taking their penalties and like I'm getting drunk tonight and I was like yes girlie's getting drunk girlie's getting drunk but it was so much fun did you have a nice birthday I did have a nice birthday oh. um and so off the back of that as well with it being my birthday weekend I felt it was time for me to indulge in just another one of my favorites really well I'm very happy to be along for the ride yeah I felt like this week I just wanted to talk about one of my favorite episodes I was like you know what comfort episode what I was watching for fun anyway the other mm -hmm. day and I thought why don't we just talk about this uh, yeah. Because it's one that we're we're pretty good at. Mm -hmm. I think we wanted to talk about a Martha story was maybe mm. on the agenda. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we've gone to series three yet, have we? No, we've not. We so far, so we've done the entirety of series one. Uh, we have dipped into series four. We've dipped into series seven. We've looked back at classic and we've done like episodes and spinners, but we've mm -hmm. not done anything. We've talked a lot about Martha. Like we, we are 
big, big advocates for the Bring Martha Back campaign, uh, but we yeah. actually haven't looked at one of our episodes. And it's funny that I always found it funny that you liked this episode so much because it just never really, like, not that it didn't stand out to me, but like, it was never one of my favorites. But rewatching it now for this, it's such a good little pair of episodes. Like, there's so many layers to it. It's really great performances. Yeah. Yeah. So I can see why it's one of your, one of your favorites. Yeah, if you follow me on Twitter, you might have seen me refer to these as my comfort episodes. <laughs> we'll dive into exactly what that means. But without further ado, this week we're looking at Human Nature and the Family of Blood. Mm. They aired on the 26th of May 2007 and the 2nd of June 2007. Oh, saying 2007 really does. Like, I, I'm very aware Series 3 came out in 2007, but I'm now, like, counting back how many years ago that was, given that it is 2023 now. I know. <laughs> and when there's a... You were in year six, I was in year seven. Uh, no. No, no, year no, five. It's the summer. Yeah, I would have been, I would have still been in year five. You were in year five and I was in year six. We were both in primary <gasps> wow. school when this came out. It's so wild. I remember. What a long time. I don't know what it is about series three, but I think maybe like, you know, I was like going towards the end of my primary school or something, but series three in particular really has like a certain feel for me. Like I feel like series one and two and four all give me like the similar kind of nostalgic feel, but series three, it's, I don't know what it is. It's just such a different vibe I in know. a good way like in there a good something way really different about series three i haven't quite nailed what it is something mm. feels very different about series three yeah i think so and i'm yeah very excited to dive in and start chatting about it you know i kind of think about it i wonder if series three i mean we'll discuss but i think in some ways is the darker series there's a lot oh, of really, really dark tones in this and dark themes but um yeah this this was definitely one of those episodes yeah, I think so. I also find that a lot of things in series three come up a lot. You find a lot of times where you're catching the Doctor and Martha, like either on the tail end or right at the beginning of an adventure that we see off screen. It happens in this episode with the cold open, but it happens again in Blink, right at the end when we're seeing the Doctor and Martha mm -hmm. on a different adventure. Um, again, the Doctor giving instructions to someone on screen happens in this episode, happens in the next episode in Blink. I find that a lot of things come up a lot during series three. I don't know what that is, but interesting observation. Yeah. Alistair, give us a little context of these episodes. Yeah, the director is Charles Palmer. He also directed Smith & Jones and The Shakespeare Code. He's also done a few Jodie Whittaker era stories. Oh. He's also the son of Jeffrey Palmer, who played Captain Hardacre, who was the evil captain on the Titanic in The Voyage of the Damned. Oh. But he's best known as Mr. Price in Faulty Towers. You'd definitely recognise him if you saw him. Definitely recognise him. I didn't realise that uh, they related. How fun. You did. A little bit of nepotism there. Charles Palmer is a nepo, baby. <laughs> Let it be said. Baby. Oh, God. No, I'm kidding. Am I kidding? No, you're not kidding. <laughs> the, the writer is... Paul Cornell, and he actually wrote the novel of the same name, uh, Human Nature First, mm -hmm. and this was adapted into the TV story. I know, because I remember, I have a memory in the back of my head about the fact that this was a story before. I believe it was a seventh Doctor story. It was. It's so interesting. I think it's the only time that Doctor novelization has then had an on-screen adaptation. Yeah, it's the only one I know of. Um, and I'll get into this as well, but it was quite interesting. I was having a look on Reddit and there were some fans of the book saying they were quite disappointed. There were some really good aspects of the book that aren't reflected in the TV episodes, mm. which is really interesting. So I, I definitely might have to go back to the book and have a read. I've never read it before, so that's definitely one for me to have 
have a look at and um, sort of look at the differences. Yeah. So both episodes topped Saturday night viewings. Both had more than 7 million viewers. And the IMDb scores are very high with an average of Mm 9.1. Other accolades for this episode. In 2008, the Daily Telegraph called this two-parter the seventh greatest Doctor Who story. In 2009, Doctor Who magazine readers called it the sixth best Doctor Who story of all time. And in a later 2014 poll, they still called it the ninth best story. A reviewer from IGN said this is the best Tenant episode, calling it stunningly produced and praising Tenant's performance. High accolades all round. All round. I also think I would trust the Doctor Who magazine readers in a review more than like the Daily Telegraph about what's actually I would good for the <laughs> I wouldn't trust the Daily Telegraph for shit. No. <laughs> but... I, I always hate when you see movie reviews. Like The Guardian, I find, does this a lot where I think it was the Mario movie where they were like, it's terrible. It's an awful movie. It's really bad because they were basically saying like, it's such a childish movie. And I'm like, honey, who do you think is playing the it's video game? Like, <laughs> it's a kid film, my love. Exactly. My love, it's a kid's film. Well, there you are. Jump in and give a little episode summary for anyone who is unfortunate enough to not remember this one. Absolutely. Uh, as always, I say that you should probably just go and watch the episodes. They are very, very good if all of those accolades didn't tempt you to listen. But uh, in case you do need a little reminder, here's a quick summary. We find the Doctor and Martha in 1913, with the Doctor living the life of John Smith, a human teacher, and Martha his faithful servant. John Smith is completely under the illusion that his human life is real, and that his dreams of the Doctor are just that, dreams. We learn that the Doctor had to change his biology to become human in order to hide from the family, aliens who want to extend their lives using Time Lord DNA. John Smith falls in love with Joan Redfern, much to Martha's dismay, and a student called Tim, who can see into the future, takes the fob watch containing all of the Doctor's memories. The family possess bodies of people in the village and threaten to kill anyone who stops them from finding the doctor. When they realise that his consciousness is kept within the fob watch, they try and take it for themselves. After getting a glimpse of what his human life could be, John Smith sacrifices himself and releases the consciousness of the doctor. He then blows up the family spaceship and grants them each their wish, eternal life, but through eternal punishment. He says goodbye to a heartbroken Joan and departs in the TARDIS with Martha, leaving a world on the brink of war. They arrive in the present day to pay their respects to the soldiers who fought in the World War, including a now elderly Tim who has kept the empty fob watch that once saved his life. Very good. Thank you. Now, I had a look at our highs and lows, our little pre-list we've written, Mm -hmm. and we overlap on a lot of them this week. (laughs) Extremely (laughs) limited lows again, because I think we've really treated ourselves to this episode. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping as well, because I kind of requested this one, I'm hoping that you really enjoyed the watch. I really enjoyed the watch, yeah. I mean, I've always enjoyed these episodes, but they never were ones that, they certainly weren't like comfort episodes of mine. I think for me, episodes like Partners in Crime and New Earth, like those are very comforty ones for me. Uh, And this one was just an episode I enjoyed, but it it didn't stand out in my personal ranking. But re-watching it, I feel like there was a lot of stuff that maybe I glossed over when I was younger watching it, things in the writing that I really enjoyed. Also, just like Freem Reitman's performance as Martha in these episodes are incredible. Yeah. Oh, no, she's, she's extraordinary. Yeah. So I think the first note we both had is that we love the cold open in this. Mm, we love it. It literally opens up with the Doctor and Martha on like the tail end of another adventure and we don't know what's going on there. The Doctor's screaming, Martha's it's literally like screaming, crying, throwing up. Did they see up. you? Did they see you? I don't know. How, no, they couldn't have they done. They couldn't have done. And what I love about it is that A, you're like dropped right, right, right into the action but there's so much mystery. You don't know like what they're running from, why there's so much panic uh, and then it cuts straight into the story of John Smith 
and uh, certainly as a first time viewer you're like what on earth is going on here yeah mm. i kind of like to see more launches like this into the action I, I love that we have unseen adventures and there's things we can imagine kind of before and after this story mm -hmm. um and like you said we get a bit more of that in the next one as well on the tail end of blink because it's a dr light episode and they have to kind of refer to what they were up to mm -hmm. um and show like a tiny snippet of that i think as well what's really good here is it really sets up the danger because it, it's so extreme they're so panicked mm. and the kind of measures the doctor has to go to to avoid kind of whoever is pursuing them it's so extreme that that when that ship lands we know that shit's about to get real it's also really interesting watching this after seeing Jodie's era where in the Doctor's timeline, canonically, he'd already used the Chameleon Arch when he was the Ruth Doctor and completely obviously forgotten about it by this point, had their memories removed. Mm. But seeing, sort of piecing it all together piece by piece as to what that opening scene means, uh, I think both for the Doctor but also so much for Martha, it's like, it's both exciting and exhilarating but also quite heartbreaking and really, really sad that Martha's now... I, I didn't really put two and two together as well, I guess, originally, that they're there for months. Like, I think they're already there for like three months yeah. and they've still got like another month left. They're a month two. Mm. They've got one left. That's I crazy. Think. So they must have met the family when they just stole another body mm. and they have to find something pretty quick. Yeah, exactly. And I think... Or is it that? I don't think it's even that. I think it's that they have a three-month life cycle. So maybe they were recently born? Yeah, I, we don't ever really find out that much information about how the Doctor and Martha met the family or why they were running from them. But I think it's that they have, they said like a fruit fly or something, like a similar lifespan to that. Yeah, and a very short lifespan if they don't take a body like a Time Lord's. Yeah, I do think that they had already been using bodies when they go into the body of Baines and he's talking to Jenny, who'll become the mother the mother mother of he mine. says um something like and we go through bodies so quickly so i do feel like they'd mm. already been around for a while and now they're looking for a more permanent solution as to like expanding their lifespan yes mm. your note here just says martha fucking jones <laughs> <laughs> my note says same does you, <laughs> martha wait, does fucking your, jones oh my god it does <laughs> but mine that says martha fucking jones same here bitch they did her dirty and i'm more convinced than ever that her story is incomplete <laughs> that is how i feel so strongly i am like staggered by the amount that she put up with i mean you know honestly it, I, I wasn't aware as a kid at all watching of how bad of a ride that she was having because like we've just said right i was in year six mm -hmm. i was not thinking that hard about this <laughs> i was just enjoying the adventure Rewatching it as an adult I'm astonished she like put up with it for as long as she did because she had, I think, the worst experience that any companion had. I think so. Like the the price she pays for traveling with the doctor is higher than what anyone else experiences. Completely agree. And for all of that, barely gets the gratitude of the doctor for what she goes through. Like, it's just, whenever I think of Martha and like her hardship with the doctor and why she kind of left it, she, and she wasn't even bitter. She wasn't even bitter. She just realized like, this is an abusive relationship and I need to leave, uh, was because of what happened in the finale with her family and the master. But then you look back to this and yeah. the doctor literally said, especially when he's like fiddling with the chameleon arch and he's like, it's going to, the TARDIS is going to take us somewhere. I'm going to have a backstory and I'm going to be able to like, yeah myself it can't do the yeah. same for you you're just gonna have to wing yeah. it and then <laughs> there should be enough residual like energy or whatever there is for so, me like, like you know good luck not just like you wing it for three away. months literally like, yeah. she's just there for three months also a like a black woman who has to become a yeah. servant also it's gonna be england 1913 and you're black so good luck <laughs> Like, couldn't he have said it to be like, I don't know, 2007? Literally, any, any other time, literally, maybe just go like, I don't know, 
70 years the other side yeah. if you can if you can help it exactly i don't know like yeah it's just i don't know what it was about that time period that meant they had to go there but martha got a raw deal but it, it like yeah she is amazing in this though i love how bolshy she is i like that the relationship she has with jenny and jenny is just like constantly impressed when she's like you know you're, you're a londoner you just do things differently in london yeah. they gave her plenty to do for the ride that she had martha mm. really is kind of the hero of the story i mean there's a few heroes in the story but martha really is a standout of course yeah she's not just kind of a victim in the story she has loads to do yeah she's a very impressive and very capable companion who is kind of up against a lot and manages to kind of stay very strong throughout this um but my god <laughs> they put her through it they, they put, put her, her through, through it. it what do you think about the whole love story or, or like lack thereof between the doctor and martha because i sort of forget until i watch them again how much it turned yeah. into martha being in love with the doctor yeah and especially here in this episode when uh john smith falls in love with joan redfern and you see martha say like you had to fall in love with a human and it wasn't me like i kind of like i see it i get it i respect it but mm. <laughs> i feel like that almost I kind of wish they hadn't written Martha like that because I feel like it almost cheapens her character where like in series four, when you see the doctor talk to Donna about Martha. He's like, oh yeah, Martha was great, but you know, she fancied me. Like, And then it kind I of know. robs all of these amazing accolades that Martha achieved throughout her series. And I think like, we've, yeah. we've spoken about it before. Martha definitely wasn't any of our favorite companions growing up. I think maybe just because of the fact we love Rose so much and, and she wasn't Rose. But she truly is, I think, one of the most capable companions I've ever had. And exactly like you said, her story I don't think is done. Yeah, I think it was potentially a misstep for Martha to come into the show and fancy the Doctor. Mm. I think it would have been nice almost for the Rose relationship to be a one-off because of the time in his life that he met her. Yeah. And then otherwise go back to having kind of a broadly asexual Doctor, I think, apart from that one special romance. Um because I don't think there was a lot of precedent for romantic relationships in the classic series. No, never. And then in quite a short span, um, the Tenth Doctor is is a real flirt, mm. like a massive flirt. Oh yeah, and a really sexual Doctor compared to what kind of goes before or really after. I think, apart from maybe Eleven, but they really phased it out. Yeah, I feel um, like which I think was probably a good thing. I think it was Sylvester McCoy that was very vocal about it. They were like, I don't think why would the Doctor want to get with a human? That's disgusting. Like they really didn't think the Doctor should ever be like sexual or innuendo or have love interests. I think it definitely came through from Paul McGann. I think there was the big kiss with him and Grace in the movie, and you, you kind of get the joke about it as well on the day of the Doctor when the tenth Doctor is marrying queen elizabeth and the war doctor says like does this happen a lot in our future and the 11th doctor goes it does oh, start it does to happen, happen yeah, yeah. <laughs> which was quite funny like I, I think it works kind of for nine and rose because of what they kind of bond over and what the doctor's been trauma he's alone and yeah the trauma bonding mm. i i think you could have given martha a really satisfying arc that ends in the same way without her being in love with the doctor and her recognizing maybe pretty early on hey listen I might have fancied you at one point, but, you know, you're not actually that kind of guy that I'd be looking for. Mm. And let's just move on and, and, and continue as kind of friends and people who respect each other. Yeah. And then she could have still stepped away, you know, for the same reasons, saying like, look, I've got people to look after. This life is too dangerous. Mm -hmm. You don't treat me respectfully. You're not very nice. <laughs> you're not very nice. Yeah. I don't feel safe with you. And I've got people I want to prioritize back home and I can't keep running. But without leaving because... She felt kind of a bit slighted by him romantically, which was a part yeah. of the reason she left. 
I think that they could have had a very satisfying end into this series if she had said, I need to leave because I've realised you're dangerous. And I really like the speech she that gave Donna in good. series four where she's like, the doctor's like fire, stand too close, people get burnt. I yeah. think it would have been good to be like, I I love you, I have love for you, not romantically necessarily, but you're a dangerous person and I have people that I need to take care of. And, yeah. I, and I'm not going to risk myself or them again by travelling with you. And I think that would have had a much heavier consequence on the doctor rather than what it kind of ended up being, which is, I have a crush on you and you don't love me like that, so I'm going to leave. Like it, it felt like it kind of was a cheap shot, I guess. That, I think, segues quite nicely into a high for me in this episode, which was the Dark Doctor. Mm. The Doctor in this episode is horrible. I mean, the Doctor, the character is barely in this. The Doctor is only referred to. And a lot is said about the mm-hmm. Doctor that isn't nice, about what kind of man is he? Why does he need you? Oh, he needs me because he's lonely. And it's like, why do you want me to go yeah. back to being that? What are you to him? What is the point of you and all this? And the part that really shocks me is he's such a villain And it's so uncomfortable when he's changed and Joan is like, I find it really hard to look at you because you're like wearing a dead guy's face who I was in love with. Mm -hmm. She's already a widower. She's a widower almost like again because she knows she would have had a life and children with this man. Yeah. He now kind of swaggers in with the same voice and the same face and knows it's uncomfortable for her. And he tries to kind of manipulate her into coming with him. And it like reveals his kind of arrogance how alien he is you know being his like chipper self like oh want to come and see my time machine while she's like looking at the face of a man she fell in love with who doesn't actually exist Mm. also another level to that that again is such a humiliation for martha is that like joan is racist because of the time that she exists in (gasps) she's racist yeah and he's like you want to come in my tardis with like martha who you humiliated and didn't believe at various points in the story it's the scene where like Martha says that she's a doctor or training to be a doctor and she's like, well, some women can be doctors, but certainly not one of your colour. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, she's literally like a 1910s racist that you want to bring into the TARDIS, make Martha on. And also, <laughs> poor bring Martha, this just remind her. TARDIS with you because we can enlighten her, Martha, and that's both of our responsibility now. But it's just also horrible for Martha to have this constant living reminder in the TARDIS of this horrible three months where she was like... Absurd. Like, it's absurd. Because I assume like his intention with that is, oh, that's okay, like... I'll simply replace Martha. Like that's all. I've got oh Rose two point now because his. I, I assume 2.0. he kept some of John Smith's memories. Yeah, some of like the romantic feelings lingered, and he could remember feeling that or seeing that through his eyes. Didn't he say to her something like, uh, "You know, I can try. We can try." Every, again. Everything can he says, everything he was, I'm capable of that too. It's really weird. Like that's horrible. And it's she's weird. like, and she's, and it, 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 Joan's great in this because I think they they deliberately make the Doctor you know, go too far in this point because then she says, you know, mm. she's like struggling to even look at him. And then the music slightly takes like a turn. Mm. And she says, you know, in the end, like he was, he was braver than you were. Yeah. And just one question, you know, if the doctor had never chose this place on a whim, would all these people have died? And mm-hmm. his face changes and then he walks out. But then the way he goes back to his chipper self, you know, where like Martha's like, do you want me to go and talk to her? <laughs> and he's like... Time to move He's on. Like, That's fine. Time to move on. As if he just tried to chat someone up in the smoking area. And it's like, <laughs> best go. Best go now. And she's like, she's traumatised. I go hope Martha got the therapy she needed. Because fuck me, she'd need therapy after this. Yeah. Um, I, th- I think that this is a really good example of 
what they, I think, try to do with Peter Capaldi's Doctor, where they remind you he really is an alien and he doesn't fully understand people. Mm. Where I think with Peter Capaldi's writing, I wouldn't so much say performance, he's often like, you know, oh, this is my care, she cares, so I don't have to. I hated that line. I hated that. I know. Hated that. Like, clearly has so much, like, love and care and consciousness. But I think that he... Maybe we, even as the audience, need to be reminded that he's not omnibenevolent and he does wrong things and he might not realise that. And I think that he treats Martha badly here. He then treats Joan badly. And I don't think he quite understands the consequences of those things. And that's why it's such a surprise to him in the finale of the series when Martha's choosing to leave. He doesn't quite get for a moment why she wants to and i think that that shows like you said his arrogance he's so arrogant he's He's painfully arrogant arrogant. i mean it sets up then donna as the perfect companion for him in series four because she is like probably one of the only people kind of capable of really meeting him on his level and challenging him with the ego Mm -hmm. he has and bringing him down a peg and and calling him a prawn and (laughs) and and the show is so much better for that but um yeah yeah, i mean this really convinced me like more than ever that martha's story really is incomplete because Mm. it's so strange like she is so great as a character and so capable and freeman adjman plays it so well but everything that happens to martha and everything everyone says to her is so insulting and yeah I think that was what Freeman Regiment said. She said, like, if I came back, I'd need to come back with Martha as more of a complete character and not just someone who pines after the Doctor and is defined by her relationship to him. Which is completely fair. Completely agree. I'd really like her to be a part of a unit story independently now, I think, of the Doctor. Mm -hmm. I'd like her to see the Doctor, but without kind of huge warmth for the Doctor. And I would like Martha's role, I think, in relation to a new companion to be almost to like exist to offer them a cautionary word. Well, I didn't really pick up on it when watching it as a kid, but that's exactly her role with Donna, I guess. Like she does, she is very warm with the Doctor. She's glad to see him again, but she warns Donna, like this is what happened to me. This could happen to anyone who gets near the Doctor because they're a really dangerous person. And I think that as an audience member, I definitely underestimated just how dangerous he'd been to her beyond like the trauma her family went to at the end. I think that these two episodes really do show what the Doctor is willing to put his companion through without really thinking about it. Like it all happened, I'm assuming, within the space of like five minutes, them coming back into the TARDIS and then him wiping his memory. And Martha just had to deal with that. Yeah. And, and ad lib and, you know, make her story up. Like it's awful. Yeah. Interesting as well. When she talks to Donna in the next series and is offering that kind of like, be careful speech, is that what prompts Donna to go home and see her family again? I think it is. Yes. Yeah. No, it is. Yeah. That, yeah. It's because of that chat. She wants to go and see them. Mm. I think this is, I mean, series three is a really interesting one for the way it deals with racism. And I think sometimes it really misses the mark. And I'm looking at um, the episode with the witches for that one, the Shakespeare Code, which was just horrific (laughs) for how she, what's the quote? Walk around like you belong here works for me. No, he, yeah. For anyone who hasn't seen the Shakespeare Code recently, it was the second episode in this series and the doctor takes Martha back to Elizabethan England. Yeah. And she asks him, uh, am I okay here? And he's like, what do you mean? And she's like, well, I'm not exactly white. And he goes, just walk around like your own place. It normally works for me. Yeah. And they just gloss over. Not only that, but like, yeah, they've got Martha walking around as well, like in a tank top. And they're like, it's fine. It's absolutely fine. He's just, yeah, I don't know. I don't think that's even like excusable as like the Doctor's character. I I really genuinely think the Doctor's meant to be quite an observant character, really. I think it's just lazy, Mm -hmm. like lazy writing. Yeah. This one, it's interesting, I think, because you see 
racism done in a few different ways with different characters. So you've got mm. Baines and his friend who are actually cruel dickheads. Outwardly, like, racist. Overtly dickhead, racist yeah. and make racist jokes. You have Joan who internalizes racist assumptions and believes mm-hmm. it's impossible that Martha could be a doctor. Not because she actually thinks Martha is inferior, but she has this unquestionably... She's unquestionably swallowed the idea that this is the way things are, this is how things must be, you couldn't possibly be a doctor. Like, there's mm-hmm. that whole, like, bones in the hand speech, and even though she's got the evidence in front of her eyes, she can't accept it. Yeah, she just immediately says, oh, you must have read that somewhere. Yeah, and it's like, yeah, to do my fucking exams, bitch. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and doctor's like, do you want to come? Do you want to come along? Do you want to get in the, do you want to get the TARDIS? And then we have John Smith, who oh. is mostly like a decent guy. He's shown to be like a decent and one time comes a brave man who can be mm. kind to Martha, but doesn't stand up for her um, when he sees this happening. And... When she tries to explain to him what's happening, he brushes her off with this racially informed dismissal of cultural differences. Oh, it's so painful to watch that bit. Yeah. The only person who treated Martha as a person is the maid Jenny. Mm -hmm. And again, looked on Reddit, some people saying like, maybe that's because, you know, class unifier greater than race. But at least she had one person in this and then she died. Jenny died. So. And, uh, Je- honestly, I want justice for Jenny. She was such... Like, rewatching this, it made me love her so much. There's a really sweet line talking about all of the sort of racist things that happened to Martha while she's in 1913. Uh, when they're outside the pub in Human Nature, I think Jenny says something like, oh, it must be different where you come from. And, you know, you kind of think as an audience member that she's being like, oh, you know, back where you come from. And then Martha's like, yeah, London. And she's like, good old London town. And you realise she's talking about the fact that she's from London. Mm. And there, I'm assuming, like in... Bristol or Gloucester or something and she you know I'm really really glad that Martha had her and there's such a sad scene when Jenny gets taken over by the family and they sit down and Martha's like kept a tea for her you know got the cake and the tea and everything and then when she slowly realizes that Jenny has been possessed so she starts like listing things that humans would know at discussion she's like I can put what is it like kippers and jam or yeah, yeah, yeah mustard yeah. in the teapot or something yeah I'll put some gravy in the teapot mm, yeah that'd exactly be nice the scene where Jenny gets taken over by the mother and she's like just crying, like she's just in the corner of the spaceship crying to uh, Baines. Oh yeah. And it's just so horrible. And she goes, stop mocking me, sir. And it's just so, I, like no. he said, like, oh yeah, oh yeah. And then he has that whole thing that he says to her. Shut up, stop talking. Caesar says, there's a good girl. There's a good girl. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bless her. Justice for Jenny. Justice for Jenny. And on that note, should we talk about the performance <laughs> of the season? Which for me is Harry Lloyd, who I believe steals the show, Mama, playing... Who is he? Is he son of mine? Uh, I think the character would be son of mine. I just son call of him mine. Baines, because that was... Jeremy Baines was his human Baines. name. But You're yeah, right. Son He's of, Baines son of mine is and guy. son of mine. Yeah. He is extraordinary in this. He really steals the show. I mean, all the villains in mm-hmm. this are fantastic. Not just the family, but I really like the Scarecrows as well. And the way they mm-hmm. have those, like, stitch-shut mouths and eyes which are like stained red and look like blood and the way mm-hmm. that people are always like reaching inside them like pulling out their like hay guts and they're like there's nothing in there like it's Ooh. it's so good so creepy so scary the way they walk as well yes and jenny actually her performance is really good it's one of the villains as well oh my god i wish i could do an impression of this bit um it was like she's having this confrontation with martha at the start of the second episode 
and she's like, what's happened to Jenny? And she's like, she's consumed, her body's mine. And Martha's like, you mean she's dead? And Jenny goes like, yes. And she went with the precious little dignity, all that, ah, screaming. <laughs> it's like, oh my God. And there's another bit as well with um, Baines when he comes back in through the window and he's like, um, he's come back without the beer. And he's like, what's the matter with you? Caught the sniffles out there. And he's like, yes, I must have. It was cold, very cold. Mm. And it's like, oh. and- so the good. way that his voice is like slightly different as well. Like I like like the, everyone who was playing like a dual character in this. So the four people in the family and also the doctor and John Smith, they all ever so slightly change their voice except for Jenny, which is overtly like, she's just doing like a South English accent now. Like, like she yes. completely changed their voice. The farmer, however, though, he doesn't change his voice at all. He's just like, Oh, you, I have found the TARDIS. Like, oh yeah. We doctor come and collect your <laughs> prize. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. They, I feel like they probably said to him like, can you do a different voice? And he was like, no, 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 we can't. <laughs> I can't do a different voice. Exactly. I think all the family were amazing performers. I was going to say, there was a funny quote from the, the daughter. So the head teacher goes, that's right. Now take my hand. And she goes, so funny. And then the script goes, Lucy produces a ray gun and vaporizes the headmaster. And then she goes, now who's going to shoot me? Any of you? Really? <laughs> <laughs> so good. I think they're all really, really good. Like the, the dual roles they play. Obviously, Baines and Jenny are the only two you really get to know in their human forms before they get like abducted. Yeah. Uh, but as the family, they're, they're like, it's like one of those like deliciously evil performances, I think. Like it's really really like they're enjoying this like there was what was it that bane says it's like this isn't war this is sport or this something is, like that yeah it was like oh we've, be, we've been hiding too long this is sport or something like that it was great yeah like they're really enjoying the hunt of it yes. and being out and about and that's really really good i really enjoyed as well the panic actually like in that part i just described with the girl the daughter um mm-hmm when they are outside and there's this like panic where the head teacher obviously wants to bring this little girl inside the school believing there's like a murderer about and there's this like slight panic about like wait can we bring her in is she a part of this what's going on (laughs) and it's a bit like wait no i i think she was i think she was at the thing and wait maybe maybe stay back and then joan has to like jump in like i think I, I don't know. I think I think, think you should stay should, back. Yeah, actually, I think we should leave her alone. And, uh, yeah. and then the doctor's like, uh, she, she she was with Baines, and then it's a bit like, and they're not sure what to do. do we, like, do, do we, we, we leave her or? And it's it's very good. I like that. Yeah, and the head teacher. I like how stubborn he is. Also, he always assumes that he's right, and then he is constantly proven that he's wrong. Like when they're all prepping to fight the scarecrows, he's like, "What are you all doing? I I should have you all like put to bed." And blah, yeah. blah blah blah. And then they explain the situation. He's like, "All right, well, yeah, Smith, maybe maybe you did do a good thing here." And he's just constantly just proved wrong. (laughs) Sounds like we are under attack. One thing I really enjoyed watching this in a kind of like unenjoyed way, like it's not a nice thing, is the moral dilemma of training boys for war and how, you know, especially throughout the first episode when before the threat arrives, they're just training them for military training. And I think Tim is the one that says that the things that they're shooting they all have spears like they're using such outdated men uh, such an outdated mentality of what yeah. they think like a warrior is and then obviously the allegory with world war one that all these boys really were being trained for a war and being told that it was going to be glorious and amazing and all this without any comprehension of what it would actually be like yeah and there's such a horrible scene once in the second episode once the scarecrows are being set on the school and they're about to invade well, it's, it's like 20 seconds with like i'm not sure if there's music or anything you just yeah, there is, hear there's, the boys there's, there's quite 
choir music, it's like the boys singing. Oh, but before the choir, because the choir, when they're fighting, there's the choir, but it's when like you see one of the boys like wipe a tear away oh, and no, just hear them, like, sniffle. No, it's just silent. Yeah, that, yeah, yeah, like 20 seconds of silence and you just see boys like crying in fear for their lives because they've suddenly realised that like this this isn't the glorious war they were promised this is they might die and then like you said yeah once the doors fly open there's that choir and they shoot all the scarecrows and that, like it's it's harrowing like in a weirdly enjoyable way it's such a nicely done metaphor for war with mm-hmm. yeah them suddenly faced with like the horrible reality of this and yeah all so upset that they think they're killing people and them literally just being boys who are not old enough to fight but also i guess Mm -hmm. in a sense that then when a lot of them end up going to war they're still not old enough to be seeing what they see and the kind of relief as well when they realize it's scarecrows yeah they realize they've not actually killed anyone so we didn't kill anyone and then that's that kind of weird moment yeah it's Mm -hmm. interesting isn't it yeah, it's it's, and I like that you get the voice of Joan as well throughout the whole thing. Where because her husband was shot in a battle, she's like, "Wouldn't wouldn't the world be a better place if we weren't all training each other for war?" That's like mm. what makes war in the first place. People who believe that war is a good thing, um, yeah. And I think that kind of comes full circle at the end when they go back to the present day. I was going to say back to the future. There's a bit where the doctor says, "Like in the future, the year of our Lord, two thousand and seven And I was yeah. like, "Oh Christ, we really have moved on from this, haven't we?" But when they go to the present day and they you know pay the respects to the fallen soldiers and they see the adult him like it's quite a sweet moment it's so interesting that the novel human nature was written in 2002 before any of the time war stuff was done on screen but how well it fits with the new who anti-war theme and kind of post time mm. war guilt and all of that as well it mm-hmm. syncs up so nicely i think it's quite an obvious adaptation of them to do really yeah no i really need to read it (laughs) i know i'm really keen to as well the other thing i just really love about this this episode like i was talking about is like the the mysterious comfort factor yeah i don't know why i just love this episode i find it so cozy to watch i think i do know what it is i think part of it as well is the setting i just think is interesting as well like quaint 1913 england i quite like like i like all of this being like a bit of like a spooky going on in a like Mm. sweet little rural town with a little school and like a pre-war england is kind of an interesting setting um yeah I think I also just like knowing where it was filmed. So a lot of this was done. Oh yeah, you've been there, honey. I have. I've been there a few times. So this is at St. Fagans. So it is called St. Fagans. I'm not making that up. It is St. Fagans. <laughs> it is St. Fagans Open Air Museum in Cardiff. And mm. I've been there more than once. It's it's really lovely. It's kind of creepy. So they've like reconstructed at this museum outdoors all of these old houses kind of as they were through history in wales and they kind of go through the centuries through the decades and you can go into these old houses and there's always like someone there in the museum inside all the rooms and they're kind of showing you like oh yes like up there they would have had uh four in a bed and down there that's where they would have slept and here's the one fireplace they all had and here's where they kept this and here's where they kept that and you can like walk around inside all these old houses and they're like perfectly preserved perfectly accurate to how people used to live and they're they're quite weird to Mm -hmm. go into um and they make you like very grateful for not living in that time very grateful for central heating yes i've been in that house at the end where tim joan martha 
and the doctor are together. Oh, it was um, the girl's family house, wasn't it? The, the, the little girl who became daughter yes. of mine. It was her family home, wasn't it? Yes, that's there. Um, mm. And then there's also kind of a little like replica high street you can walk down, which is the bit where the cricket ball happens with them kind of... Oh, that's like, such a good scene. Yeah, where John Smith kind of so throws fun. the ball to stop uh, a piano crushing someone. That all takes mm. place there. And there's all shops you can go into. You can buy things in there. Um, yeah. It's quite nice. Cute. It's like side thing. Um, I always find it a bit creepy because up a little bit beyond that, which you can see in the background of one shot, they've recreated the inside of houses through the decades in the 20th century. And you can mm-hmm. go back in, you can see like houses in like the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. And That's fun. they are like perfectly reconstructed. And it is so creepy. Like it's so creepy. I don't know. There's something about it that really gives me like mega like ooh vibes. One final high for me, if I may. Mm-hmm. There's so much in this episode to talk about. That, I mean, it's a great two-parter. We can't cover everything, but one more from me is definitely the character of Tim. I really like. Yeah. Um, played by our beloved Thomas Sangster, who I've been told in the past I do resemble. Um, I actually need <laughs> I can to kind check. Of see it. How old is Thomas Sangster here? Because he he's looks- in his thirties, but he has ne- he looks like he's never aged. He just has the face of a child, and I'm so sorry if Thomas, if you're listening to this, but you, he just hasn't aged. Like he he ha- like he sometimes has a beard, yeah, and he just looks like a child with a beard. It's really weird. I'm going to assume they filmed this. I'm going to do the maths right here, right now. I'm assuming they were filmed in 2006. 2006. He's 16 when they filmed this. He looks the same. He looks the same. He looks, he looks the same. The same. He was also a big character in, I don't know if you ever watched, uh, what was the series of films that he was in? The Oh, the Maze Runner films, that was it. He was in the Maze Runner Oh, he Runner was. Films. You're right. He was in, he was in Game of Thrones as well. Have you already said that? Was he? So was um, son of mine, Jeremy Baines. He was he was um, Daenerys' cousin, I think, or brother. That's who he is. I knew I'd yeah. seen him somewhere. There you go. He's well, I one. liked I liked the character of Tim. First of all, I really liked his like slight psychic abilities that he was born with. I think that was pretty cool mm. that he can like... Is, is it a consequence of the watch or is it just something he has that he can no, see the he future? had it before he had it bef- like before because he predicted that someone's dad was going to South Africa or something like yeah it, it, I, I I like it that it isn't explained properly like we just get told he has slight psychic that. ability and you know what deal with it <laughs> I love that we it's a bit like the character of um Gwendolyn in series one yes. when we go back to uh, the Charles Dickens episode and she mm-hmm. has some like psychic abilities from living near the rift but I quite like like you said this is unexplained I like that in the Doctor universe kind of canonically you just have people who are a bit psychic is quite cool yeah I really liked his character I like how it was quite a Doctor-y character there's a part in the episode where the character of Hutchinson calls him a filthy coward and he responds saying oh yes sir every time as a sort of reference to the passing of the ways very doctory Mm, very doctory one thing that we can't gloss over i think we've been waiting to talk about it because it is uh, so amazing like okay i'm just gonna jump into it the soundtrack for this episode well for these episodes Mm. is something else like murray gold we've you of all people (laughs) oh my god into this many a time but it feels like he wrote a lot of incidental music throughout the series that gets used multiple times. Like there's like Martha's theme and the Doctor's theme and this and that. But these two episodes feel like they got their entirely unique score. And for me, one of the pieces of music that I really, really like is Only Martha Knows. Uh, and that's the one where yeah. she is coming back into the TARDIS uh, for the first time in the episode. And it's like, do, 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 Yeah, it starts kind of so light and flowy and bouncy and sweet. And then it begins mm-hmm. to turn and this drum beat builds. 
and yeah. we suddenly get these like really jarring flashbacks with gunshots and it becomes mm. this really sinister kind of like vast Dark. strings playing yeah it's yeah. really really good like the whole episode just has like a really unique score and it makes it feel very like cinematic i think it really does feel like these two could be one like doctor who movie complete this i agree i agree i agree <laughs> and that made me think how much i want two parters but yeah we got Mary gold announced this week we actually had a lot of people tag us mm. and say like is Alistair aware? <laughs> and it was like, I'm aware. <laughs> was a lot of people like, is Alistair okay? I'm aware. We were actually recording another episode talking to a guest while it was announced. We were like, oh my God, oh my God. Like, we can't say anything right now, but like, ah. And as soon as but we, we still caught like, cool, up even chaos. in the recording. Yeah. I know. Oh. Um, so yeah, there's another one in there, which I really like, which is called The Dream of a Normal Death, which is on the soundtrack, which is mm. where he sees his potential future with Joan, which is a very heartbreaking moment that he has to release that version of his life and the children mm-hmm. that never would be. Um, of course, that, that version never could have happened because I think if the family of blood had taken the doctor's body, then you know, none of those things could have happened anyway because it would have been kind of war war amongst the stars or whatever he said. So, mm-hmm. and and yeah. I guess he doesn't know that war is coming. He, he would have had to go to fight. None of those things would have happened. Um, yeah. But yeah, also the unreleased track from the very end at the memorial service, uh, the mm-hmm. remembrance service, there's an unreleased track, which is like a variation on the doctor's theme. And some people call it We Will Remember Them as the uh, name of the track. Mm. It's very nice. It's the same as the Doctor's theme, but it uses, oh God, what instrument is it? It's, I think it's, I think it's, is it trumpets? Trumpets, horns? Yeah, maybe trumpets. It just feels very churchy. It feels like, it feels like the Doctor's theme, but very churchy. It's the kind of like, it's like military brass noises. I think that's what they try to use. Anyway, I loved it. I love it. Girl, I loved it. I loved it. There's one bit, not to do with soundtrack, but when you were talking about um, the scene where John Smith can see his potential future with Joan, again, yes, very heartbreaking, very mm-hmm. sad, but good scene. One thing that I always got bugged by when I was growing up, and it's such a weird thing to get annoyed by, is twice in this season we see David Tennant get aged up. So we see him at the end of that flashback oh, yeah. on his deathbed, like having lived his life. And then again in the finale when the mask like ages the doctor up. But they, it's completely different makeup, like both times, like like they look com- entirely different. And I all, and I get that, like I guess it's because he's meant to be like a you know ninety year old man, whereas he'd aged the doctor by like what hundred years or something. But I always was like, surely you just make the same prosthetic and do it twice. Why are you doing two completely different makeups? That feels yeah. like a lot. <laughs> like it's such a weird thing to get bugged by. I didn't adore that prosthetic. For me, when it panned up to his face and I kind of knew what was coming, I was a bit like, ooh. It looked very like spray the hair grey and like draw on some wrinkles. Yeah, and for me, the moment where he dies is inadvertently a little bit funny when it's like, everyone's safe, John. Mm-hmm. And he's like, ah, oh, well then. <laughs> <laughs> and just dies there on the spot. <laughs> and just like, okay. Like, oh um, my God. I just found that quite funny. But yeah. otherwise, like, apart from that moment, I think, yeah, this episode, I mean, like, what notes could you possibly put on this? Like, I think this episode was genuinely pretty perfect. Alistair. Yes. Coming off the back of these, are you ready for another episode of Camp or Dance? Well, yes. Well, yes. So for this one, we've kind of looked at a few quotes uh, from the episode. Number mm. one, sardines and jam. Camp or Dance? Um, you know what? I don't know if it's camp. It's genius. I wouldn't <laughs> have thought on my feet the way Martha did. Is it camp? No, but it's clever. <laughs> I, do you know what I think like, the whole thing is there's something a little bit camp when she's just like I can put a nice bit of gravy in the pot 
and some mutton or sardines and jam. How about that? Like, yeah. It really was thinking on her feet. Jenny's reaction, perhaps, possessed Jenny is a little more camp. Fair. Um, this is one of my favourite quotes. Um, I can't perform it for you, but I can read it verbatim because I think it still really carries a lot of the effect. Baines, you dolt. I thought you'd been caught by the Rosers. Well then, where is it, man? Where's the blessed beer? <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing camp about it. It's not camp, but it is hilarious. It is so funny. It's his like, you know, he kind of kind <laughs> not of even the rosers, the, the, the rosers, <laughs> the dolt, the blessed beer. <laughs> the blessed beer is a little bit camp. I'll give you that one. <laughs> New from C.S. Lewis: the dolt, the rosers, and the blessed beer. Um, and then the last one is when son of mine is talking to Jenny and she's like, stop mocking me, sir. And then he goes, shut up, stop talking, season to sister, there's a good girl. Shut up and stop talking, season to sister, there's a good girl. <laughs> that is camp. All of his facial expression is extraordinary. So camp, so great. His entire characterization, camp. Camp, 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 Yeah, no, he's really, really camp. I love it. Good one, girls. I have a few fun facts for you this week. Ooh. Now, during the Doc 2 lockdown event of 20, I want to say 20, that was when it was, there were a few fun pieces of material created, including Shadow of a Doubt, an audio story specifically made for the event. It was the first of two stories written by Paul Cornell to coincide with Watch Long of Human Nature and the Family of Blood. Mm-hmm. Now, in that story, I basically have a character have a conversation with daughter of mine who is trapped in the mirror, and she refers mm-hmm. to meeting several doctors once a month every month (laughs) i find this quite funny because i think in my head following the episode the 10th doctor maybe was vengeful for a period but ultimately maybe eventually freed her or stopped visiting i didn't Mm -hmm. really imagine that every doctor every month would keep coming back to visiting you know i didn't imagine they would you know honestly maintain that level of rage Um, they just stayed mad yeah they don't describe them kind of by numbers they will say like oh it's the the older one with all the hair or it's the one who can't walk so people Mm. think that they're referring to the 12th doctor the 7th doctor and the shalka doctor Mm. and the doctor who can't walk this is niche is thought to be the doctor in a wheelchair who is described in the rose novelization as being one of the doctors who appears in a picture in clive's house now i don't know if you remember there were like there, there were pictures in that novelization of many people that Clyde believes is the doctor. And one of those I think is meant to be a boy in a high tech wheelchair with a robot dog. And, guess implied to be a future doctor that's interesting no I, i've missed that. i i'm afraid i didn't catch that on the background of clive's wall but that is interesting with the robot dog there well there you are there's one as well with the red hair which i think is a doctor who has ex- appeared in expanded media but not one i know very niche reference mm-hmm. i think that one yeah, no, that's cool. I'm sure that the, every, everyone's going to be pulling everything out of like Dimension in Time and then the comic relief uh, sketch with Rowan Atkinson oh my and God. canonizing all those doctors. Doctor <laughs> fans are so insane. I adore it. There's there's no other fandom in the universe that's uh, this unhinged. Unhinged? I don't know. Detail oriented. <laughs> Another interesting fact. So one of my favorite items, maybe in the high, in fact, that we should have mentioned is John Smith's Journal of Impossible Things. Yes. Yes. Which I think actually was at one point produced as a toy. Or I was like going to say that came with a pen. I had it. Did you ever have the journal? No. How many pages oh, were in it? it? Loads. So every so it was, what it kind of bugged me because it, they made it smaller than it is. So it's obviously like A five in oh, the show, be. but the one they produced is I think maybe like A 
six so it's like half the size of that but yeah. it had all it had printed pages with everything you see on screen so like the page with the clockwork droid and the Celine, and it ended with the the picture that the doctor drew of Joan because that was the last entry that he put in the diary uh, and then the second half of it was blank and it gave you a pen and it was meant to be that you would then fill in the rest of the journal you uh, maybe like keeping up with the show you would draw your own Joan do things like that yes. I don't think I ever did because I was like this is how the prop is in the show and I yes. am leaving it as the prop is in the show oh, um, yes. but I loved it it's such a fun like, I'd love 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 to have like a replica of it it's such a fun prop and now you too, child, can go out with an ink pen, find someone <laughs> to fall in love with and ultimately traumatize, draw them in your book, and then and then vanish from their lives forever. But just make sure there's a Slytherin right next to it so they can be like, are you sure that one's not me? Are you sure instead? that one's not me? <laughs> that was actually funny. She was funny for that. So my fact here was that the book was created by an artist called Callianne Walker and Paul Cornell provided the text to be written in the book. I am going to need to find as well at some point a written version of that where I can just easily see what's written on every page. I'm very interested to see what's on that. Um, The brief Mm. she was given was to reflect the fact that Smith wasn't an excellent artist and these images were thought to be from his dreams and rushed down on paper before he forgot them. Another piece of work she, she worked failed on. There. <laughs> she failed there. If she's trying not to make him look like he was an excellent oh, artist. Oh, he was an excellent like, artist. I know. He's an excellent artist. He was an excellent artist. <laughs> oh, she is, yeah. Yeah. She also, I, I found her portfolio online. Um, how creepy. <laughs> You've really done your research, Eddie. And she helped design the Sycorax ship. Oh, really? Did she? Oh, that's cool. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. I yeah. hope they brought her on like after that to keep designing stuff because I really like, like the Secret Ship was an interesting design and I think this is just such a delicious prop. I really also, I always wanted a prop of River Song's diary growing up and I actually made, I, I feel like I threw it away like at some point in my life and I hope I haven't maybe if I go to my parents if I can find it but I made like a replica of River Song's diary I used to like find all of the information I could about her and write it down as if it's a diary and tea stain the pages and all that because I, I just desperately wanted like the physical media <laughs> that's really cute I had the like official hardback notebook of River Song's diary which wasn't quite the same that's thing cool. but it was printed to have like the texture on it but it was completely like flat it wasn't. It yeah. Wasn't oh, doesn't give you the same feel. Doesn't have the indents I wanted. Oh, I wanted the indents. Now, the final fact I have is that the book that we now both want to read actually cuts <laughs> some interesting bits from the episode. Again, this is all like secondhand information from Reddit. I haven't read the book, but mm-hmm. um, apparently in the book, boy Tim becomes a frontline medic in the war, which is explained better. Oh. So I guess he becomes like, he, he remains something of a pacifist in the war, which makes sense. He becomes a doctor himself almost. Well, there we are. There we are. There we are. Full there circle, we are. baby. And in the book, Smith and Joan are described more as two outsiders in a... Ve- mm. I just read it. Smith and Joan. Smith and Joan, Smith and Joan. <gasps> Not that interesting. <laughs> um, in the book, Smith and Joan are described more as two outsiders in a very strict environment. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of why they bond, is that they are both kind of unique characters in that sense. In the TV, you don't mm. get that sense Um it's more of just they feel like of they a, fit in quite a, well. A quirky romance, yeah. yeah. People who yeah fit in very well and are very kind of well liked. That's interesting. We really do need to read this book. We need to read this book. I was thinking. Final thought. This mm-hmm. episode would actually work well. This two parter as a standalone film. If you had no other Doctor Who media, no other Doctor Who episodes, this would still work as yeah. a standalone movie with no expanded anything outside of this 
one film. The one thing you would have to do, I think, to make that work is give Martha a different conclusion in the episode, probably where she ends up walking away at the end, Mm -hmm. because she would need a complete character arc within that one film. But beyond that, this could probably be its own film. It really is. Because she explains the bases, well, her and John explain the bases of who the Doctor is and what they do. As an audience member, I'd be really interested to watch this with my partner because he isn't a big Doctor Who fan and he's definitely not seen them before. I mean, he has, you know, he's with me, who's a co-host of Doctor Who podcast. We kind of soak some things up, but I'd be interested to see his reaction from this because it is an all-encompassing story. You really don't need any prior knowledge, but you're right that like, I think Martha gets her finale at the end of the season. Whereas if you're doing this as a standalone movie, you need to kind of bring that resolution towards the end of this episode because she kind yeah. of just like ignores the trauma and jumps back in. It's arguably a good starting episode for a Doctor Who newbie. Could be. Because one of the strongest episodes and requires no context. Mm, it'd be good, but I never really thought about that, but that would be a good one to sort of throw someone in. It's just a very good pair of episodes. Very good it's episode. Really good. Very good episode. Very good episodes. Whale. And as always, we would love to keep the conversation going with you. Please let us know. Do you love these two episodes? Are they comforting and warm for you? Uh, you can reach out to us, as always, on our Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, all of which are at Pod. You can also catch up with old episodes in the podcast on our YouTube channel, also at Pod. Yes. And if you have a moment, we would deeply appreciate if you could rate us on whichever streaming service you're using, whether that's Spotify, Apple Music, or something else. Um, we're very grateful for any reviews you leave us. And until next time, see you soon. Bye. Bye.